One of the most significant and fascinating experiences of my life was to visit the Middle East some years ago with my husband John. We visited Egypt, Israel, Jordan and Iraq. It was a thrill to visit Iraq where two and a half thousand years ago God himself visited in a most remarkable way. We travelled through Baghdad and then drove out to Babylon, which is about 50 miles south of Baghdad. As I stood on the ruins of old Babylon, I was in awe as I remembered that this was the place where God gave to Daniel the understanding of some of the greatest prophecies about the history and the end of the world. In the first chapter of Daniel, we are told that King Nebuchadnezzar captures and destroys Israel and, or Jerusalem and takes them, some of the noble young people, back to Babylon. These young men, Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach and Abednego with others, were sent to the best university in the land. They were also allowed to go to the best restaurant in town, the king's table. They ate from the king's own table. Now, while these young men would compromise where they could, they would not when it came to God's laws. They took their first stand on what some might say was a very insignificant one, the health laws of the Bible. Insignificant to some, but not to God. He so blessed them that they looked better, healthier, and more handsome than all the other students. Also, they were ten times wiser and brighter than the rest. Young people, don't give in to peer pressure or the practices of the world. Dare to be like Daniel and you will always have God's guidance and blessing. In time, Daniel was made the prime minister of Babylon. But now I want to hurry on to the latter days of his life. The Babylonians are gone and now Darius the Mede is the king. Daniel was still one of the leaders, but because of the jealousy of some, a trap was set to destroy him. The pride of the king allowed him to be persuaded to make a decree that everyone should pray to him, and if they didn't, they would be thrown to the lions. How would you and I react to such a decree? I think I might go home and close the windows and pray in secret. After all, the New Testament says, when you pray, go into your closet. But this was a different situation. Daniel knew that they knew that he prayed three times a day to his God. And Daniel wasn't about to start being a hypocrite. And so he went home, opened his windows wide, and prayed the same as usual. Much to the delight of the spying, let's get rid of him committee who immediately ran off to King Darius and said, O king, live forever. Daniel is in his house and he's praying to his God and he needs to be thrown to the lions. Well, when the king heard this, he knew he'd been tricked and became very distressed because he admired and respected Daniel very much. And the next day, he walked with Daniel down to the lion's den and before his men threw Daniel in, he said to him, Daniel, may your God, whom you serve so faithfully and continually, may he rescue you. Well, that night, the Bible tells us the king could not eat and he couldn't sleep. Have you ever wondered what the lions and Daniel did that night? I believe Daniel had another prayer meeting. And then he fell asleep because his trust was in God. But what about the lions? I think, well, I can imagine, they looked over at Daniel and said, okay, he's an old guy, but I think he'd still make a good meal. But they did not touch even one hair on his head. And why not? Because Daniel was protected by his Redeemer, who had sent a great angel to stand between him and the lions. And in the last great conflict, Jesus will stand between us and the destroyer as long as our faith is in him. 
And so at the crack of dawn, King Darius goes back to the lion's den and calls out, Daniel, was your God able? Now watch that word, able. Was your God able to save you? And up comes the cry, and Daniel says, O king, live forever. My God was able to close the mouths of the lions. And this story has been written to encourage us and to inspire us to be faithful. As it says in Ephesians 3.20, God is still able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or think. May God help us to have the faith of Daniel. This telecast is now seen around the world. It's seen in Iraq and Syria. We even get letters from Muslims in Syria. It's seen in Saudi Arabia. We even get letters from Saudi Arabia. It's seen in Iran. I got a letter this week from a gentleman in Iran who blessed me in the name of Allah. This talk is a very different talk. Even though I'm talking to a group of Americans here in America, this talk is directed particularly towards our Muslim friends in America and particularly in the Middle East. The papers have been filled with details of the awful scandal of the abuse of Iraqi prisoners by some American soldiers. You can't turn on the television without being confronted by terrible pictures. My topic today is when it is right to disobey a military command or any other command for that matter, whether it be civic or religious. Sometimes it's most important that a Christian disobey a religious command. And so today, by the grace of God, I'm going to present to you and my Muslim friends the case for nonconformity. I want you to take your Bibles with me. Beverly spoke today eloquently from the book of Daniel and I'm going to continue on. I want you please to turn to that which has been called the greatest of the prophets, Daniel chapter 3. Daniel, the third chapter. And my Muslim friends recognize that Daniel was one of the great prophets of the Bible. Daniel 3. I'd like you all to take a Bible and turn to the texts. King Nebuchadnezzar, verse 1, made an image of gold, 90 feet high and 9 feet wide, and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then he summons the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. And so what happens is that vast concourse of people representing all the peoples of the world assembled before this great image that represents the kingdom of Babylon. In this vast crowd, there are three young Hebrews. You can read about this in the chapter, verse 8. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced who? The Jews, they said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You've issued a decree, O king, that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harps, pipes, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, O God. 
they neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. The Bible goes on, tells a story how these three young men, probably just teenagers, are called before the king and he says, is it true? And they say, yes, it is true. What he says, I'm going to give you another opportunity. And if you fall down, and if you worship the great image, well, but if not, you're going to be thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. And who can deliver you out of my hand? Now, if you come to verse 18, you'll get the reply of these three young Hebrews. Even if God does not deliver us, we want you to know, O king, that, say these three words, we will not. Great words. We will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Never, never get these words out of your minds. We will not. This is the case for nonconformity. The Bible goes on and tells how the young men who said we will not, how they were thrown into the midst of the burning fiery furnace and how Jesus our Lord came down and walked with them in the fire and the fire singed only the ropes that bound them. Three words. The theme of my talk today, we will not. Today, I want to say to my Muslim friends, I'm a Christian minister. And today, I'm going to make reference to the Iraqi prisoner abuse, the scandal that has rocked the United States of America and the world. Let me say, as every senator, every congressman has said, Nothing can excuse those evil actions that were done by our soldiers. But, but, we should not only ask why was it done, but why this incredible outrage against America, my Muslim friends. Terrible crimes are committed every day in Africa, Asia, and the Middle East, and nobody says a mumbling word. I say to my Muslim friends, why the outrage? Listen. Every Arab country engages in the torture of prisoners. You know it, I know it, the world knows it. Saudi Arabia, our ally. Syria, Syria not so long ago destroyed a whole city of people who said, I will not. Syria, the Sudan that has butchered hundreds of thousands, even millions of Christians. And I don't hear from the Arab countries a mumbling word of outrage. Therefore, I come to the question, why the outrage against America by Americans and the rest of the world? I wish to say to my American congregation and to my friends in Iran, and hopefully they are still friends, I wish to say to my friends in Syria, this outrage against America is justified because the deeds that were done 
were evil deeds. And uh, America has a higher standard that you recognize in spite of yourselves. Jesus, our Lord, said, to whom much is given, much is required. Much has been given to America and much will be required of the United States of America. I want to talk now a little about what makes America different to most nations. My Muslim friends, America was founded by religious nonconformists who said, we will not. They refused to be part of a system that systematically suppressed human rights, oppressed minorities, and that abused and tortured prisoners. During the Dark Ages, when the great Roman church ruled the world, the church became a persecuting evil power. The church in Spain led the world in torture and invented a devilish device that was called uh, the Inquisition. What was the Inquisition? It was a form of interrogation. Inquisition to inquire. And this horrendous machine that was invented by the devil spread around the world. Prisoners were abused and tortured and their faces were covered by hoods. It was done in the name of God to get information to save the state church. America was founded by people who said, we've had enough of that. This evil persecuting power is mentioned in Daniel 7.25. Would you please turn to it? Daniel chapter 7 and verse 25. Here the words describe the great coalition of church and state as it dominated the world. He will speak against the Most High and oppress his saints and try to change the set times and the laws. The saints will be handed over to him for a time, times, and half a time. This is a description of the Dark Ages. Now, who were these saints? These saints who were oppressed by torture were ordinary people with, ordinary, with extraordinary convictions and extraordinary courage. They said, we will not. Now, one of the most odious features of the church of the Dark Ages was the belief in the union of church and state. Do not forget that. And may I say this to you, in scripture, whenever the church is joined to the state, there you have the essence and the heart of Antichrist. Whether it is the mosque joined to the state, or the synagogue joined to the state, or the Christian church joined to the state, there you have the essence of Antichrist, and there you have the spectra of torture and persecution. Now, over in England, Merry England, which was not so merry in those days, there was a group, and these people called themselves Puritans because they wanted the church to be made pure. And they wanted the state to be made pure. These were some of the first of the Protestants who said, we will not. Now, among the Puritans, there was a radical group. And they were called the separatists. Every American ought to know this 
off by heart. The separatists, because the separatists said church and state should not be together. There should be a separation of church and state. Those people, the separatists, were persecuted by the king in England and they fled around Great Britain. Then they went over to Holland and then back to Great Britain and they traveled so much that they called themselves pilgrims. The pilgrims. And in 1620 they got this poor little boat that was almost rotted out was not even watertight, worn out, and they sailed over here to America in the Mayflower. And that's how America was established, my friends in Iran and Syria. It was established in 1620, that's when the Mayflower came, by nonconformists. The great truths that the pilgrims believed were enshrined in the Declaration of Independence which took place when? Can I hear it a little louder so I can test your patriotism? In 1776 and in the Constitution that was written in what year? 1787. And then the Bill of Rights that consists of the first ten amendments. Is that not true? Let me read to you from the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident. What does it mean self-evident? It means that you don't need a PhD to work it out. You don't have to prove it. You don't have to prove that you're here in church today. You are here in church today. It is self-evident. And the founding fathers of the United States of America, these non-conformists, let me say today, if you are American, by nature, you should be a non-conformist. And you will not lie down and say yes when an order is wrong. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. They are what? Created? No atheism here. Are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator, not by the state, but by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Say it with me. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now let us notice this. All men are created equal. Americans, Englishmen, Indians, Australians, Iraqis, Germans, Arabs, and Jews. All are created equal. All are children of God. They are created. This is the difference to atheism. We are not cosmic accidents. The founding fathers of America recognized the sovereignty of God and they said all men are created. Amen. Created equal. Let me give you the difference between communist Russia as it was and the United States as it is. I have seen the remains of the Gulligakapalago where millions and millions of people who said we will not were herded. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, a great Christian, some say one of the greatest Christians in the history of the church, was imprisoned for his faith because he said we will not, I will not, bow down and worship. He was being tortured on one occasion in one of these infamous prisons by a woman torturer. Women, apparently, are just as evil in torturing as are men.
No heart is so black as the heart from which the Spirit of God is removed. He was being sexually tortured. And he screamed out in his pain, Don't you know that I'm a human being? Mercy! And the lady said as she sexually tortured him so that he screamed in agony, Here in Russia, we are making a great state. And when you make an omelet, you must break some eggs. We are breaking some eggs to build a state. In Russia, still in China, most parts of the world, including the Middle East, the state is everything and the individual is virtually nothing. The individual exists for the purpose of the state. In America, the individual is everything. And the state is the servant of the people. Amen. That's the difference. And that is according to our ideals and our beliefs. On television this week, I saw some news that gave me a surge of warmth. There was a little Iraqi girl, three or four years of age, with dreadful tumors growing in her neck. And the American military has brought this little Iraqi girl to America so she can go into a hospital and be healed. Because the people, obviously, who brought her believed in the Declaration of Independence that all men are created equal and have certain unalienable rights. So America, I would suggest to you today, no, I do not suggest it to you, I affirm it on the authority of history. America has a higher standard. Therefore, the outrage is entirely appropriate because America has a higher standard. Amen. And I say to my dear Muslim friends, and I count that I have some Muslim friends. I've been to Iraq, Iraq on four occasions. I've been to Syria on several occasions. I've been to Egypt on many, many occasions. I've been to Kuwait and Lebanon. And I have met some of the kindest and the most loving people among the Muslims. Kind and generous. And so I say to those who are watching, my friend who writes to me regularly from Iran, what do we in America, the vast majority, think about the Iraq, uh, think about the abuse of Iraqi prisoners? What do people in this part of the world think about it? Let me tell my Muslim viewers. These acts were un-American. There is no excuse. They were crimes against humanity condemned by the Red Cross and the Geneva Conventions. Number two, these acts were blatantly un-Christian. No Christian can condone these barbarous activities. Turn with me to Matthew 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 39 and onwards. And who agrees with me? Well, I will tell you in a moment. Who agrees with me? John McCain for a start. Matthew 5, 39 but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. 
But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Jesus, our Lord, taught us not only to love our friends, but to love our enemies. And you may say to me, but Christians don't operate this way. This is because... They are Christians merely in name. The only time the Lord Jesus Christ laid his hands upon a person was to heal him. Jesus, the founder of the Christian religion, did not go out to battle with a sword in his hands. He never tortured and he never killed a single soul. He said, the Son of Man has come to save, not to destroy. Listen to me, my Muslim friends and my American friends who are listening along today, who agree with me. The evil acts of some of our soldiers is condemned by the president, every senator and every congressman because these acts are against humanity and they're against God and they're against the Declaration of Independence and against the supreme law of the land, the Constitution. My heart was warmed as I watched the hearings that will continue, I imagine, for months in Washington. Thank God they are. I heard John, Senator uh, John McCain If there's a man that I admire in America, it's John McCain. A war veteran. A soldier, indeed. And when he was shot down over North Vietnam, the communists took him and they broke his legs and they persecuted him and they tortured him. And then they said to him, because he had high connections, you can go back to your family, just just go. And he said, are my buddies coming with me? They said, no, we'll let you go. Then he said, I'm not going either. I listened to a man like that. He is a true American. I could see the outrage as he questioned her. Some of the men who were in charge of this unseemly affair. And then on the opposite end of the political spectrum, I listened to Senator Ted Kennedy, who also was outraged. They all were. Let me tell my Arab friends something that you'll never see in your countries unless they become democratic. These evil acts have been unmasked and condemned by our free press. Now, I believe in freedom of speech and I thank God that in America there's freedom of the press. I want you to notice USA News, shocking and awful. Inside the Iraqi prisoner scandal, the ghosts of Abu Ghraib, why the system broke, the psychology of torture. Is he to blame us, Newsweek? Time magazine says, special report, how did it come to this? Do you folks read these magazines? I'm afraid for people who do not read because they're going to be deceived. Unknowing people will be a free people. The Economist, a question of justice. This one, resign, and it shows the classical torture that is called the Vietnam. Young people wouldn't know how to do that. 
But I say to my friends who are so outraged, and rightly so, around the world, I say this to you, how many Middle Eastern regimes condemned the atrocities of the butcher of Baghdad? Why were you so silent? They say now that Saddam could have killed between five and seven million people. How many Arab newspapers have criticized their governments for the use of torture? And you know the answer? Not one, because you do not have a free press. In America, I thank God for freedom of press, of the press, and that this is not a cover-up because we stand guilty. We make no excuses. A person who makes an excuse and justifies the use of torture is no true American, no patriot, no Christian, no believer in God. Such a person is guilty of unspeakable blasphemy. Who was responsible? Well, we're going to find out, I hope. The Holy Bible teaches that every person is responsible for his own actions. Now, my Muslim friends know the story of Cain and Abel. I want to read it to you out of our Bible. Genesis 4, verses 8 to 10. And if any Muslim would like me to send him a Bible, then let me know. We'll send it to you with our greetings and our best wishes. Genesis chapter 4, verses 8 to 10. And once again, let me say some of the finest people I've met as I've traveled around the world have been Muslims who've treated me with great courtesy and kindness. Genesis chapter 4, verse 8. Now Cain said to his brother, said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Who was responsible for the killing of Abel? Who was responsible? Cain. Who was responsible? Every soldier who abused a prisoner is responsible and guilty. Every officer who gave the command to those young people is responsible and guilty. Every officer who closed his eyes is responsible and guilty. Every man or woman in the Pentagon or wherever who knew about it and allowed it is responsible and guilty of un-American activities. My Muslim friends, we all have a choice. I am tired of people saying it wasn't my fault. Have any of you folks seen the movie that stars, it's a very old one, 50 years old, black and white, stars uh, Spencer Tracy, the Nuremberg Trials? So there you've got all the Nazis sitting and they're on trial before judges of the Allies. And Spencer Tracy is representing America. Every Nazi who drove the Jews into the ghettos and then killed them in the gas chambers at the Nuremberg trials, you know what he said? I'm a good German officer, I was obeying orders. All said the same. It's not me, I was simply obeying orders. Millions of Germans said of the German soldiers 
who machine gunned Jews and other prisoners of war. We were obeying orders. In the movie, Spencer, Tracy, finds these men guilty and sentences most of them to death. There's an outrage in Germany. There's an outrage even among some of the other Americans. And they say, doesn't he get it? Doesn't he get it? Spencer Tracy says, I get it, but you don't. He said to one German judge who sent thousands of people to their deaths, and the judge said, I was doing what the government told me to do. I'm a moral man. I'm a good man. Spencer Tracy said, when you crossed over that line, you lost your soul. Who was responsible? What about the poor German soldier with his machine gun? And there's a bunch of Jews in front of him. And the commanding officer says, shoot, what choice does he have? He has a choice. He can say no and be shot himself. So be it. We are all responsible. We cannot pass the buck. We cannot say I had to do it. It is wrong to obey an unlawful order. But it is right to disobey when the order is unlawful. God's law or man's law. And what the world needs are people who will say, we will not. We don't care who you are. We will not. You know, we can take some relief from the fact that there were heroes in Abu Ghraib. They knew it was wrong. And they said no. They are American patriots. They're the heroes. I saw interviewed on television a young American soldier, a lady, a black girl. She'd been imprisoned by the Iraqis. They'd placed her in a hospital. They said to her, were you violated? She said, no. How were you treated? She said, I was treated well. They said to her, this wasn't true, I'm sure, with all. But they said to her, what would you have done? Oh, she said, it's easy. She says, she said, I would not have done it. It's evil. I'm a believer. Then they had a young man who was a helicopter pilot who was shot down and also taken captive by the Iraqis. They said to him, Captain, what would you have done? He laughed. He said, there's no issue. What was done there was evil. They had a responsibility to say, I will not. I want to tell you folks something. I could preach a sermon on this. There's something that's happening to the world, all around the world, that is dark. There's a breaking down of truth. There's a breaking down of the concept that there's right and wrong. There's a breaking down of the concept that people are responsible for their own actions. And this has been taught in the colleges and the universities, even in some of the churches. I would question the upbringing of a girl who could cast aside all morality and torture people. You say, but the circumstances, you don't understand the circumstances. Yes, I do. I think you just don't understand truth. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego with a burning, fiery furnace in front of them said, we will not. Burn us if you want to, but we will not. You know why? 
They'd been taught as children. That there's a God. And this God calls us to be true to him. And in the face of the foe, to stand up for God and to stand for our convictions. There were heroes there. Yes, there were. They're the ones who blew the whistle and said this evil must stop. God will always have his heroes. He'll have people who are not brainwashed. We live today in an age of mass brainwashing. I've heard some people say, my country right or wrong. I'm glad Jesus didn't talk like that. I'm glad Paul didn't talk like that. I'm glad the Puritans didn't talk like that. I'm glad the Pilgrim Fathers didn't talk like that. I'm glad John McCain didn't talk like that. God will have his heroes during the final test. I'm going to read you something now and those who are wise among you will understand. Revelation chapter 13 and verse 11. Revelation 13 and verse 11. And those of you who understand your Bibles will understand what this talks about. Verse 11, then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb because when he comes up, he comes up to defend the lamb and the gospel. He had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. This power passes from being a lamb to a dragon. And verse 15, he was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that it could speak and cause all to refuse to worship the image to be killed. He also forced everyone small and great, rich and poor, free and slave to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. There is going to come a final test. And a great power in the last days is going to arise, firstly as a lamb. But then as time goes by, it will become a dragon. And in the end, it will set up an image to the beast. This, of course, is symbolic. But as there was a literal image set up on the plains of Dura, so this power that started as a lamb but becomes as a dragon will set up a symbolic image. And it will say, you must bow down and you must receive this mark in your hand or in your forehead. And just as it was back in the days of Daniel, Shadrach and Meshach and King Nebuchadnezzar, the whole world bows down when they hear the music. And they see the fluttering flags and they hear the music and they see all of the attachments that come with a great worldwide power. So the people back there, they all fell down. And in the last days, they will all fall down except a group of religious conformists who will say, we will not. And they will say that because they have been taught the scriptures. They're not shallow, empty-headed people. They're not people who are just moved by a surge of emotionalism. But like the great German theologian, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, when his whole church went on the side of the Nazis, he and a few of his colleagues started another church 
And they said, we will protect the Jews. We will not support evil. We will not support the breaking of the Geneva Conventions. We will not. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, perhaps the greatest of the 20th century German theologians, in the end, as a young man, was taken by the soldiers or the SS men of Germany and hung, tortured first and put to death. Our hero. We will not. So today, I call upon every person here, every person watching the telecast, to be God's nonconformist for his glory. Thus, I rest my case for moral, religious, and civic nonconformity when that nonconformity honors God and blesses man. And may God bless the United States of America. Amen. Amen. Please kneel. Thank you. Let us kneel. Father, today we thank you for this thrilling time here in church. Help us to be true nonconformists when it honors God and blesses our fellow men. We pray that you will bless the United States of America. Give to President George Bush courage and integrity to do what is right. Give to Mr. Rumsfeld the same courage and integrity and to the Attorney General, Mr. Ashcroft, Mr. Wolfowitz, all of these people who are in control. Help them to understand that there's a way that seems right to a man, but the ends are of the ways of death. And that each one of us is called by God and the nation to defend the Constitution and the Bill of Rights and the Geneva Conventions. Help us to act as Christian men and women so that the Muslims will say, these people have a religion that is so much better than ours that is worth following. We thank you for America that there's freedom of speech, freedom of religion, and freedom of the press. Oh God, keep these freedoms open until the work of God is finished and the servants of our God are sealed in their foreheads. And at last, dear Lord, by grace, when the lamb-like beast has become a dragon and enforces the mark of the beast, give us the courage of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel to say, we will not. Amen. So bless this precious congregation here today with your grace and your peace and your love through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.